You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Student Pastor Josh Barnett. Well, uh, I'm excited about continuing our series tonight. Last week, uh, Pastor Tim kicked us off with part one of our Management of Life series. And I'm going to be going on part two tonight. So buckle up. I got a lot to say and a little time to say it. Um, <laughs> we, we as believers, we know that we are, um, or we should know, that we are co-laborers with Christ. And so we are doing life with him and we are building his kingdom with him. We give our lives to, to him by faith, but that doesn't mean that we are, um, just because we're saved, it doesn't mean that we're absolved of any responsibility. Now, now that we are saved, now we have a responsibility of walking with him, of doing life with him. This means that we have a responsibility to follow after him. We, we, we become saved, and Tim talked about this a little bit last week, I'm just recapping some, but, but when he saves us, he, he redeems us, he forgives us, he washes us completely clean, he makes us holy, but now we, are go, we, we, we participate in a process of becoming holy. So we are, we are justified... We are saved, but we are also being what's called sanctified, which means we are being made holy. So positionally before the Father, I am eternally holy because I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Thank you for that. But now also, the Holy Spirit is at work in me, making me like Jesus. So he has sanctified me, and from the inside out, he is at a work making us more and more and more like Jesus. And in it... I think sometimes people think they get saved and all of a sudden that your life is just going to completely turn around and everything's going to get better. And all of your temptations are going to go away and all of your problems are going to go away and all that's going to happen. And, and it's, the, no, there's a process. There, there, and, there, and there may be some things that have happened in your life because of, because of sin, because of bad decisions, that you will still have to walk out earthly consequences. Now, you have been saved from eternal consequences. But I do want everyone to know tonight that when you put your faith in Jesus, John 17, that eternal life doesn't happen when you die. John 17 says that eternal life is to know Jesus. And so eternal life started the day that you got saved. You are welcome into the kingdom the day you got saved. I, 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 want, I want everyone in the room to know tonight that you can thrive on this earth. You're not meant to just survive it and get your brains kicked in until you get to heaven. If, <laughs> you, God has a plan and a purpose for you here on the earth. If that wasn't so, then when you got saved, you would just go up to heaven. You would just go be with him. But he saves us and leaves us here because he put us on this earth for a reason. And through salvation, through the king, into the kingdom, there's now a better way that we can do life. But we have to walk that out. He's not a genie that's just going to make it happen. <laughs> it's not, this isn't, isn't witchcraft. It's not all of a sudden, it's, no, it's a process that God through choices wants us to make. First John 4, 8, God is love, but God defines what love is, and he defines love as a choice. He gave us free will, and so he wants us to choose to love him back, to respond to his love. Sorry, this is a little bit of teaching, but just to set all this up tonight. 
We, just, we have to know that we have a free will nature. He doesn't force us to follow him. He doesn't force us to obey him, to pray to him, to seek him. He doesn't force us to deny ourselves. He leaves those choices in our hands. That's the way that he set up the world to operate. He is not a God that is going to force us to love him. Jesus did not make his disciples follow him. He called them and they responded. He calls us, now we have the choice to respond. He comes and gives us a new name. He changes our identity, but we have to choose to receive it. We have to choose to look at ourselves the way that God looks at ourselves. God looks at us. And if we don't look at ourselves the way that God looks at us, then we will continue in wrong behavior. Does that make sense? Okay. So we have the choice now to receive it. He's not going to force us to be crucified with him, but we are called to be crucified with him. We are called to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow after him. All of his disciples had to make that choice for themselves. He didn't force them to make it. They made that choice for themselves. And 10 out of the 11 died a martyr's death. They all made that choice themselves. They tried to kill John too, but he wouldn't die. They tried to boil him in oil and he wouldn't die. And so they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. It freaked him out. Which, yeah, that would be very freaky if you tried to do that and they wouldn't die. But anyway, they made that choice for himself. But a lot of times, many people want Jesus to be this supernatural genie where he supernaturally changes all of your circumstances. To take you out of your dysfunction, to take you out of brokenness and put you in a mansion and make you healthy, wealthy, and blessed. And that's not the way that it works. <laughs> there is a kingdom available to us now, but interest into that kingdom comes by way of a cross. We prove our love for God by way of obedience. Obedience implies that we have a choice to obey or not to obey. <laughs> that right there proves we have a choice to follow him. We are still tempted to sin, but we are no longer controlled or enslaved by sin. You, you're actually free from sin. The proof that you're free from sin is that it's a temptation, that you don't have to do it, that you can actually say no to it. We still can sin. We still can fall short. But we ha- and when we do fall short, we have a mediator to forgive us. But it's obvious that we have a choice because we are tempted and we can actually choose to obey God. So we have been redeemed by Christ. That is a completed action. You are saved. You are saved. Thank the Lord. But now that that completed action has taken place, there is a demanded response. And the response is now walk with him. Walk with him. Completed action. You've been redeemed. Now the response is walk with him. So we have to choose to walk with him. And our choice tonight, when I'm talking to management of life part two, our choice starts with what we supply ourselves with. So the, 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 Tim did the intro last week. The first step of the management of life process is supply. Supply. What I mean by supply, I mean everything that we intake, everything that we watch, everything that we listen to, everything that we let influence us. You have got to manage what you are allowing into your mind, into your heart, into your spirit. You've got to manage that because everything is going to flow from that. This is something that we have to manage. We have to care about what goes into our minds, our hearts, and our spirits. And I, you could make an argument that everything that you are today, good or bad, is because of the things that you have intake, that, you, that you've taken in. We have to be on guard with what we allow to influence and entertain us. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, 
What? Guard your heart. Why? Because everything flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart. So above all else, watch what is coming into your heart, through your mind, through your ears, through your eyes, through the people that are around you. Watch what's coming in because it's going to determine who you are. (laughs) Garbage in, garbage out. What's going in is what's going, going to come out. You've heard before, you are what you eat. This is spiritual. This is spiritual too. You are what you eat. If you're not getting the outcome that you want in life, if you're not seeing the promises of God fulfilled in your life, if you're, seeing, if you're reading about this kingdom and you're going, man, I'm not experiencing it, you may want the first step is look at what are you allowing to come into your heart. What are you allowing to influence you? What, look at what are you eating? Not physically, spiritually. What are you eating? Is your soul unhealthy? Is your body unhealthy? What are you feeding yourself? We have to know, Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Don't be misled. Remember, you cannot ignore God and get away with it. (laughs) Another translation says, God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. Paul says those who live to satisfy their own sinful desires will harvest the consequences of death and decay, but those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. You will reap what you sow. We will all reap what we sow, and if we sow the flesh, we're going to reap the flesh. But if we sow the things of the Spirit, we will reap the Spirit. We will reap the kingdom. We will reap eternal, abundant, resurrection life. But you have to sow those things, and you have to stop sowing the things of the flesh. You can, listen, you can get saved and you can go to heaven when you die, and, and, but life here on earth can be absolute hell for you based on what you supply yourself with. Eternal life is supposed to start at salvation. The kingdom is available now. We are meant to thrive, to take dominion of this earth, to make earth look like heaven. But we will just get beat up our entire lives if we don't manage our lives. If we don't manage our supply. So tonight, talking about supply, what we allow in, what we feed ourselves, I want you to know this. Um, actually, um, one of my youth leaders, Olivia Wiley, she's incredible. Um, we've, been, we've actually, it's so crazy that I got given this topic because in youth group for the last two months, we've been talking about nourishment. We've been talking about this very subject right here, what, what the students are feeding themselves, what they're taking in. And Olivia spoke a couple weeks ago, and she said something, and I was just like, that's it. Like, that that floored me. Everything I've been talking about here, she said, you can survive on anything, but you'll only thrive on the right foods. Right? So good. So I should just let her get up here and preach, because that was incredible. You can survive on anything, but you'll only thrive on the right food. So tonight, I want to talk to you about how are you going to thrive, and I want to give you four ways tonight that you're supposed to manage your supply. Four ways that you're supposed to manage your supply. You're taking notes. Write these down. If you're not taking notes, I want to encourage you to, class. There will be a quiz next week. Number one, four ways to manage our supply. Number one, feed on Jesus. Feed on Jesus. Feed on Jesus. And I start with feeding on Jesus because you're not going to stop doing the things that you don't want to do anymore if you're not feeding on him. Luke 11 talks about a man who was emptied of evil spirits. The house got swept clean. 
the demon left and came back with seven of his baddest friends and found that the house was empty because the, the empty space had not been filled. And so you can't just stop sinning. You have to be filled with the Spirit. And it starts with, number one, feeding on Jesus. And listen, the key to overcoming all sin and all fleshly desires is not by saying no to them. It's by saying yes to him. Your yes vow to Jesus makes all your no's for you. It starts with saying yes to him. And saying, giving a yes to him is so much easier than living by the law and having a list in front of you all the time of don't do this and don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. And actually, if that's all you get, the law just reveals your sinful desires. And so when people just hear don't, 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 you know what they want? The forbidden fruit. That's what they want. But we have something better. We say yes to Jesus and he satisfies all of our needs. So we don't even want that stuff anymore. So we feed on Jesus. We cannot, we can't stop doing those things on our own. We're not strong enough, but he is. And we won't be empowered to overcome those things if we don't feed on him. The Holy Spirit comes and empowers us. How does he empower us? Through communion. Through abiding, through remaining with Jesus. Real quick, turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Y'all are holding me up. I got 20 minutes and three more points to make, so. Bible sword drills where you got to turn there real fast. Anybody do those in school? <laughs> Don't do them anymore, then everybody's got them on their smartphones, I guess. John chapter 6, I'm going to read verse 30 through 35. It says, They answered, Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. It's interesting that they're talking about manna here. Because manna in the Old Testament, the way that God fed the Israelites when they were in the desert, manna only lasted for one day. They could not collect more. If they tried to collect more than one day, it would spoil It's interesting that Jesus is being compared to bread from heaven, from manna to manna from heaven. And it's also interesting that he, when he taught the disciples how to pray, he said, give us today our daily bread. We were meant to have communion to feed on Jesus on that daily bread every single day. Not just when you come into church on Sundays, and not when you come on Wednesdays, and not when you go to your women's Bible study group, and not when you go to your men's, when you go to your men's group. No, no, it was every day you're meant to feed on Jesus. Go down to verse 47. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread 
which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true, true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. I live because of the living Father who sent me. And in the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate manna. But they will live forever. If we feed on him, we will experience eternal life now. Not when we die, now. Eternal life starts the day that we believe in him. And the day that we believe in him, the feasting is supposed to start. He is the feast. He is the banquet. He's talking about communion here. He's not talking about juice and a cracker. He's talking about communion, intimacy, relationship with him. And it sounds weird, but you've got to, he who has ears, let him hear. You've got to turn your spiritual ears on. He's not talking about literally eating him and literally drinking his blood. He's talking about having communion with him. It should, what he's saying is that we have an appetite for everything. And if he becomes the thing that we feast on, it begins to satisfy that hunger on the inside of us. Like nothing else will. In verse 56, this is how we remain in him by eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Look over in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39 says, On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may drink and come. For the spirits declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said this living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not been given yet because Jesus had not entered into his glory. But now he's entered into his glory. Now we have the Spirit. Now we can take a drink every day. We can take a drink of him every day. There's a drink available for weary, dry souls. And there's a drink available where you never have to become dry and weary. There's a drink that where you never have to become dry and weary. You feel dry and weary, when's the last time you took a drink? Are you hungry? When's the last time you ate? Come on. Come on. Ephesians 5.18 says, Don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. Filled with the Holy Ghost. And that word filled there that Paul uses means to be filled continually, every day, never stopping, being filled. Why does he compare it with being drunk with wine? Because people who get drunk don't stay drunk. They sober up. The Holy Spirit lives in you, but you don't stay filled with him. We're constantly supposed to drink of his presence. <laughs> Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It, 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 could, it, should, it could say it like this. Blessed are those who recognize that they need God every day. Blessed are those who recognize their neediness for God, then they're going to live in the kingdom. And if you recognize for your neediness for God and you're constantly hungry for Him and you're constantly drinking from His presence and you're constantly feasting on His flesh, you will live in the kingdom. Come on. And I can testify. My life proves it. Is anybody else? Come on. 
So Jesus is our supplier. We feast on him. He is the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Our number one mandate as Christians is communion with God. Our number one mandate is not to get the whole world saved. The Holy Spirit is the Savior of the world, not us. Our number one mandate with God is fellowship with him. Fellowship with him. You don't believe me? Read John 15. And guess what? If we fellowship with him, if we commune with him, the whole world will get saved. It may not happen tomorrow. But if we feast with him, we'll become like him. And we'll begin to make disciples of all nations. But the key is feeding on him. Some of y'all looking at me funny. I know that doesn't, doesn't agree with your rapture theology, but we'll move on. Number two. Number two. Number one, you feed on Jesus. Number two, starve the flesh. Starve the flesh. You want to manage your supply, you've got to starve your flesh. You've been saved. You've been redeemed. You're feasting on Jesus. There's sanctification be- taking place. We are called to be transformed into the image of Jesus. <laughs> Paul clearly teaches in most of his letters to the Gentile churches, now that you're believers, now that you have Jesus, now that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, there are things that you have to lay down. There are ways that you can no longer act like. And that's not legalism. Rules and laws are not legalism. If you love Jesus, you actually become willing to give anything up for him. And if there is something that you are holding on to that you are afraid to give up, it may be an idol that God is calling you to give up. And I could turn, maybe just for reference... But I could turn to numerous scriptures that I wrote down. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Actually, I'm just going to, I'll read one of these. We'll go to Galatians 5. But I've got a bunch written down. Galatians 5, verse 16 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us the desires that the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Sexual immorality, Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not talking about going to heaven. He's talking about the kingdom now. And this kingdom life, and if you are participating in these things, Paul's saying you will not be living in the kingdom because you're going to be living out your sinful, fleshly desires that only lead to death and decay. So, but the Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them. So since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. Amen. Come on. (laughs) Uh, I've got a lot more. Uh, If you basically want to read the last two chapters of Ephesians, it's all about taking off your sinful nature and putting on your new nature. Like from... uh, 
Ephesians 4, about verse 17, and you go all the way to like chapter 6, verse 20, right before he says his goodbyes, it's all about taking off your fleshly nature and putting and living and walking by the Spirit. The New Testament is full of teachings or where, where we are to take off ourselves and what we are to put on as believers and followers of Jesus. The way, so, we're, so we're starving out. We're starving out our flesh. The way that you kill an appetite is to starve it. The way that you kill an appetite for something is to starve it. And it gets easier. If there's anyone struggling in the room, I just want you to know that it gets easier. And God's not frustrated with your lack of progress. He's not angry at you. He actually just wants you to come and feast with him. And he'll take care of it with you. It gets easier. You do become more like Jesus. I want you to know that God does love everyone so much that he meets them right where they're at. But he also loves you so much to not leave you there. He's going to sanctify you. He's going to make you more holy. It's not legalism. (laughs) A sure sign that you're filled with the Holy Spirit is that you want to be like Jesus. Romans 8.29 makes it clear that we're supposed to be conformed in the image of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we're being transformed from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory into the image of Jesus. It's happening. And you're not where you were, and you're not where you're going to be. A.W. Tozer, who is the man, by the way, if you ever want to read a good book, read something that A.W. Tozer wrote. He said, the one thing you can be sure of is the Holy Spirit will never enter a man and let him live like the world. We are called to be set apart from the world. Side note on this, I, want, I just want to throw this in there. Fasting is a great way to change your appetite. Fasting is a great way to change your appetite. It's a, it's a spiritual practice of giving up food or something that your flesh desires in order to focus on communion with Jesus. And it can be more than just food. I think a lot of us need to fast social media. I think a lot of us need to fast our phones. I think a lot of us need to fast the news. Not so that we can be people with our heads buried in the sand. But again, we're talking about our supply tonight. And if you're living from a place of fear, based on circumstances, you may have the wrong supplier. Fasting. Uh, Jesus didn't say that his followers might fast. He said, when I leave, they will fast. So almost like we're supposed to. (laughs) Daniel refused to eat for 21 days until he got his breakthrough. Esther called for a three-day fast, saved all the Jews in the Persian kingdom. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus all did 40-day fast. And and I'm I'm not giving you these. I'm just throwing those out there so you can go look them up and read about them. And don't ever be legalistic about fasting. But I I want everyone to know that it's a great spiritual discipline that can help you change your supplier from flesh to spirit. The the incredible thing that I love about fasting food is because we all, everybody in this room eats something. And so everybody has an appetite. And so whenever you fast food and those those hunger pains come, it is a reminder to commune with him. It'll change your life. Number three. Number three. Way to change your suppliers, you have to plan ahead. You have to plan ahead. If there's something you are struggling to overcome, perhaps it is a lack of planning. You need to plan. 
Well, my goal is to overcome this, but a goal without a plan is wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. You've got to plan your time with Jesus. Plan your time with Jesus. When are you going to spend time with him? Where are you going to spend time with him? How long are you going to spend time with him? How are you going to cut out distractions when you spend time with him? Social media and TV are the great indictment against us that we do not have time to pray and read our Bibles. You need to plan. You, and you, listen, you need to plan your time with Jesus, and then you need to plan your way around temptations. I'm going to say this. Everybody in this room is as free as they want to be. You are as free as you want to be. How do you get rid of darkness? You pull it into the light. So if you're struggling with something, there's no shame here. There's no guilt. Pull that thing into the light. Let's deal with it. Don't stay there. Don't let condemnation beat you up. There is therefore no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. But if there's something in the darkness that you are struggling with, the way that you get rid of it is not to grit your teeth and grip the steering wheel harder. The way that you get rid of it is bring it into the light with community. That is why James says, confess your sins one to another so that you can be saved. Bring it into the light. You need to plan your way around temptations. There may be places or people that you need to avoid, that you need to steer clear of, that you need to block from your phone and social media. There may be apps that you don't need. Maybe you don't need a phone. It's a, we got along fine without them for 2,000 years. <laughs> what's more important to you? That's what you need to ask yourself when you're struggling with temptation. What's more important to you? Porn or your marriage? Pills or your kids? That friend? Or your relationship with the Lord? So you've got to plan your time with Jesus. You've got to plan your way around temptations. And, and listen, when temptation comes, the key is don't think about it. Like, you know what's right. Make the decision quick. The longer you dwell about it, the, the longer that your mind is working ways to justify the decision that you're about to make. The longer you dwell on it, the greater the temptation is going to come. Joseph ran away from Potiphar's wife. He did not sit around and hang out with her. He ran away. The the lady ripped his clothes off. That's how hard he was running away from her. We run away from it. (laughs) Don't linger on it. Don't think about it. Don't dwell on it. Make a decision quickly. And know this, nothing just happens. You don't just fall into sin. (laughs) You You don't just fall into sin. You don't just fall into having an affair. You don't just wake up one day and start smoking crack. You don't wake up one day and go, you know what? I'm going to rob a bank today. (laughs) You don't stumble into great sin. It's small compromises along the way. It's a thought that goes rogue that you don't take captive and make obedient to Christ. (laughs) Nothing just happens. And the same is true with the kingdom life. It's not going to just happen. (laughs) You don't just fall into a blessed life. You don't just fall into a great marriage or a great career. You don't just happenstance into being a great parent. You got to supply yourself with the word. And then you have to be a, James says, a doer of the word. A doer of the word. You're not just going to fall into being great with money. 
Some people obviously are more gifted than others. But if you're struggling with your finances, don't just expect one day that you're going to stumble into being good with it by doing the same things that you were doing before the last 20 years that didn't make you good with it. You're not going to just stumble into joy, peace, patience, love. It's not going to happen. It takes the right supplier. Jesus supplies all these things. They're available in his kingdom. His kingdom is available through him. Number four. Number four, you have to have accountability. You got to have accountability. We need community. You need brothers and sisters in Christ that will call you out on this. Blessed are, uh, it's better are wounds from a friend than kisses from an enemy. And if you don't have anybody around you that's wounding you, you may just be surrounded by enemies. And they may be talking about how awesome you are. But are they helping you grow? You need fathers and mothers, leaders in your life that will prophetically declare identity over who you are. Fathers and mothers that will call you to a higher standard. We are not meant to do this Christian life alone. We have to supply ourselves with godly community. Real quick, I know it's 8 o'clock, bear with me. Don't shut your brains off because it's 8 o'clock. I know we get programmed, right? (laughs) We get programmed to be done by noon on Sunday and 8 on Wednesday. Uh, Hebrews 12, no, I'm sorry, Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verse 25. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Don't let us forsake the gathering as some in the habit are doing. Now, listen, this isn't a passage to keep church attendance high. It's not a passage to keep our tithes and offerings high. It's not a passage to, like, stroke my ego so that I have more people to talk to on Sunday morning. And that's not what this verse is about. It's that we are split to do life together. So don't forsake the gathering. Don't forsake the assembling of, the, of, of, of us together as some are in the habit of doing. Do you habitually miss when the body gets together? Because this would say that that is a sin. We are supposed to gather with one another. This is a command because God created his people to do life together. And listen, something mighty happens when we gather corporately. Look back at verse 19, same chapter, and it says, and so dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, verse 22, let us, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our guilty conscience have been clean, sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us, us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Verse 24, let us, let us think of ways to motivate one another in acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect meeting together. Us, 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 us. Not you, 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 you. Us. Community. (laughs) Community. We cannot do these things if we are not meeting together. We are supposed to draw near together. We are supposed to hold tightly together. We are supposed to stir up one another in love and good works together. Meeting, gathering. There is a great power when God's people gather together. 
We need the church. We need to worship together. We need the word together. We need to hold each other accountable through encouragement, love, and good works. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, peace with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. That verse right there is this whole sermon. Run away from youthful lust, pursue righteousness, along with those who call upon God with a pure heart. Run away from sin towards him with other people who are doing the same thing. That's what that verse is saying. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So as I'm ending tonight, my question is, what are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? What kind of appetite do you have? What kind of appetite do you want to have? Have you tried changing your supply? Have you tried changing your intake? Intake. I read a statistic not too long ago that said Gen Z and millennials intake 20 times the amount of secular entertainment as they do Christian influence. 20 times. Who or what are you allowing to influence yourself? Your coworkers, your friends, TVs, movies, music, social media, news? 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. We as believers, Scripture has to be the number one influencer over our lives. Scripture is the number one influence. What we think, say, do should be dictated by the Word of God. We have to supply ourselves with the words, not one time, but daily. 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 The fruit of the Spirit shouldn't be dependent on our outward circumstances. They should be dependent on the supplier that we're going to. If your peace is dependent on who's in the White House, you have an inferior definition of peace. If your joy is dependent on how the stock market's doing, you have an inferior definition of joy. It's not dependent on any of those things. It's dependent on the Holy Spirit. It's dependent on the Word. We live in a kingdom, a kingdom that overrides the ruler of this world. (laughs) If you have less love depending on the way that people treat you, you have an inferior definition of love. The Center for Biblical Engagement surveyed over 40,000 Americans ranging from ages 8 to 80. They found that Christians who read or listened to their Bible four or more days a week feel lonely, feeling lonely drops by 30%. Anger issues drop by 32%. Relational problems drop 40%. Feeling dry and spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Those who read their or listen to their Bibles four days a week, four or more days a week, four or more are 57% less likely to get drunk. 68% less likely to have sex outside of marriage. 61% less likely to view pornography. 74% less likely to gamble. Listen, those who read their Bible one to three days a a week, negligible effect. Not even a blip on the radar. But four or more, you saw drastic spikes in all of these. Why? Because it's our daily bread. It's our daily bread. They also found that those who read the Bible four or more days a week are 228% more likely to share their faith with others. They're 231% more likely to be discipling others, and they're 407% more likely to have scriptures memorized. Again, those who read one to three days, no difference than the world. What you feed will grow. 
(laughs) You are what you eat. What you supply yourself with is what you're going to become like. Who you hang around, what you listen to, what you read, what you watch is shaping your values, your beliefs, your behaviors. We have to manage what comes in our eyes and our ears. Philippians 4.8, think on whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Think about these things. I love Christine Kane. She's an incredible speaker, anointed woman of God. She said, stop asking God for a miracle in what is simply a life management issue. Lord, please help me with my anger problems as you drive down the road and listen to angry music. While you're filling yourself with angry news anchors. Lord, help me with my finances. Are you asking someone help? Are you asking somebody else for help who is great with money? Are you reading books or listening to podcasts about finances? Or are you just asking for a miracle when you simply need some life management? Lord, deliver me from my lust. What plan have you made? What precautions are you taking? Who are you accountable to? I'll end with this. It boils down to one thing. Your supply boils down to one thing about who you are. And it's, listen, this isn't karma. The goal in life is not to do more good than bad. That's humanism. It's not about trying to get more Jesus in the world. It's about surrendering your whole world to him. Your time, your resources, your money, your entertainment, your media. Is he Lord over everything, including what you're watching and listening to and who you're hanging out with? I don't believe, I don't believe that David fell into sin because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. I mean, I think that's part of it, but I don't think that's the root of why David fell into sin. It says that David was on his rooftop looking at Bathsheba while kings were, were supposed to be off at war. And I don't think it's where he w- it was because he was supposed to be. I think it's because David stopped playing his harp. I think David stopped playing his harp. I think he stopped singing. I think David stopped worshiping. Every compromise always starts with this first, a compromise in the secret place. It always starts in it. It always starts with a compromise. It always starts with a little less time with Jesus, a little less Bible reading, a little less, a little less, a little less, a Sunday here, a Sunday there. We've watched people leave the church a row at a time and just slowly. No, nothing against anybody that sits in the back, but we watch people who they just slowly, they were sitting up front, and then after a few months, they were sitting in the middle. And after a few months, they were sitting farther back, and after a few months, They missed one Sunday and then they missed two Sundays and then they missed three Sundays in a row and before long and just they've forsaken the gathering. But the root was they stopped praying. They stopped reading their word. Jude 20 says, pray in the spirit at all times to stir up your most holy faith. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing. Every compromise always begins with compromise in the secret place. It begins when we stop worshiping. It begins when we lose our wonder for him. It begins when we stop praying, stop seeking, stop knocking. Every compromise begins when we see something else as more important to fill our time with. We have to manage our supply. 
And honestly, number one, if you feed on Jesus, it'll take care of most of it. We have to feed on Jesus. We have to starve our flesh. We have to plan ahead. And we have to have accountability in all those things. Did y'all get something out of this? Let's stand. Listen, I, I want to say this. I, I know I came off real, I, I can get really intense sometimes. And, and, I, and I don't mean it in a condemning way, but I know sometimes that my tone does not match my heart. And so if I had a tone tonight that rubbed you the wrong way, forgive me. I'm human. I get intense and, I, and, and, I'm, and I'm not mad or frustrated with anybody in the room. I'm mad at the devil. I'm frustrated with him. I'm, I hate sin and I hate what it does to people. And I hate what it does to marriages. And I hate what it does to relationships. And I hate what it does to the church. I hate division in the church. And there's so much division going on right now in the Christian world. And the devil is using it to separate us from each other. To separate churches one from another. To separate people in churches one from another. We're called to be a unified body. And, and, and we don't have to agree on every single thing in the world, but we can all come under the banner of that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He is Lord. And that's what we're unified over. And I love every single member of the body of Christ. And, and I love Christian Ministries Church. And I love our leadership. I love our pastors. I love Tim. I love Paul. I love Lucas. I love Jason. I love Brandon. I love all of these guys that are in leadership. And my heart is never to bring any condemnation. And so if that's what you heard tonight, that's not what I meant in any way. I, I want to restore people back to the fullness of what God has called them to live in. And I believe that we are a people that have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. And because of that, we can walk in the kingdom, regardless of what our outward circumstances look like. I believe that you, that, that, listen, Christians flourish in some of the most evil places on earth, in the most desolate places on earth. I'm not saying that you're not, we're not going to face persecution, that we're not going to face hard times. But despite those things, we can still live in the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you so much for these people, these people who are long-suffering that listen to my rambles. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for each and every single person in here. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just show them right now the way that you see them, that you see them as sons and daughters, that you see them as kings and queens. Lord, help us to act like it. Help us to walk it out. Show us how we can change our supply. God, right now I ask that you would stir up hunger where there's no hunger. Those maybe they've starved their spirits of you and so they don't feel that hunger like they used to. Lord, I ask that you would go in right now by the power of your Holy Spirit and you begin to put an appetite in their bellies for you that in the deep places of who they are, that they would long for you. Lord, I, I pray that you would pour out your river in, in, in prayer times that have gone dry. I ask that you would pour out your spirit on those who are sitting at, their, sitting at their word that they've read a thousand times, that it would become alive again, that it would become alive again, that it would be that double two-edged sword that cuts us deep, Lord. I ask that you would bring that back. Refresh our prayer times with you. Refresh our communion with you. Teach us how to feast on you. Teach us how to feed on your flesh and to drink your blood. Teach us what that means, God. Teach us how to pray. 
Teach us how to change our supplier. Lord, right now, show us the things that we need to starve out. Show us the things in our flesh that we're feeding that we need to starve. Maybe the movies that we watch or the music that we listen to or some friends that we hang out with. Maybe some things, some, some things that we need to cut out and starve out that we need to replace with communion with you. Lord, show us the value of community. Show us the value of the church, the value of the body coming and gathering together and how essential and how important that is, God, that we would gather to stir up each other and love and good works. God, I ask that you would bless these people. Lord, I ask that they would walk in divine health. I ask that they would walk in, in, in supernatural finances, God, that everything they put their hand to would prosper, Lord, and that you would give us the wisdom on how to handle those kingdom blessings, God, and teach us how to be a blessing to our community. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for tonight and these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll see you Sunday morning. You have been listening to the CMC podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.